Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Let's thank our patrons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I don't know how to, I didn't know how to start today. We're um, kind of rusty, I think, because it's been a few weeks, right? And I'm coming off of a cold. So it's a many elements coming together. Right. Uh, to make us fucked up. <laughs> I'm going to be a little out of it today. That's okay. I'm just warning you. I'll try to pick up the slack. So this past two two weeks three weeks gosh we've been gosh golly gee (laughs) i'm rachel (laughs) we've been gone a long time so our patrons are evan luca christine dawn megan christina nana mary oh nana (laughs) (laughs) oh mary caitlin libby Wayne, Wendy, Gerald, Harleen, and George. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. If you guys would like to be a patron, you can do the same thing. (laughs) We'll read your name online. No, I'm not online. On the podcast. Also, I wanted to send a thank you to Amanda. Yes. Who sent us a PayPal donation. That was so sweet. That was really sweet, Amanda. It was for pizza. Yeah, so we're all into that too. Right. If you want to send us pizza money, go ahead. Right. We'll fucking use it for pizza. <laughs> no, we will use it for pizza. <clears throat> well, after we're on our, uh, we're doing a little bit of a health kick right now, but you guys know how long that shit lasts. <laughs> 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 we'll be having a cheat day soon, probably. Sunday, that's our cheat days. Okay. Okay. So let's, I mean, we haven't kind of, were there anything we need to caught up? First of all, Rachel's boyfriend canceled me. Oh, that's sort of a big thing. That's big news. Brendan, uh, canceled Desi. Mm-hmm. Desi is canceled. Everyone. So me, Louis CK, Tiffany Haddish. <laughs> Desi is, uh, canceled. And here's why Brendan canceled Desi because Desi has family, uh, in San Francisco, just like I do. So she happened to be up in San Francisco during Christmas when I was there and Desi had promised that she would come over (laughs) Christmas night to hang out with my mom and drink with her and my boyfriend, Brendan Uh and my brother. Everyone was like really looking forward to it. Everyone was really looking forward to seeing Desi. And then at around 8 PM, Desi's like, I'm exhausted. I'm not coming over. (laughs) And I was like, it's okay. No big deal. And Brendan was like, what? I know he was fucking livid. Well, cause we never have gotten drunk together. I don't think. Brendan. Me and Brendan. Yeah. I mean, I've drunk with Rachel while she sits there. Right. Well, I've, well, I've sat there and had my Diet Coke. Right. So I did feel bad, but that's how exhausted I was. I mean, I could not move. And the thought of getting into a car and driving, even though it was like literally seven minutes away, right. was just too much for me. Right. I mean, that's how I, I did feel bad. And I really wanted to go. I wanted to eat Rachel's mom's rosemary uh, shortbread. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were going to say something else. I really wanted to eat mom, Rachel's mom's what? My God, Rachel. <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> I, look, I draw the line. <laughs> oh, I'm so 
sorry I offended Desi. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Hold on. I need to grab my water. Just stand by. Okay. Um, okay. Do we have anything else? Do we want to talk about some food stuff? Any food things. I made an amazing Christmas dinner. I posted pictures I of it on Instagram. I saw. Yeah. Uh, that was really good. I ate way too much food. I'm a huge fucking heifer and I'm, that's why I'm on a health kick right now. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't stop eating Rachel. Like once I decided that I was not going to try to be good during the holidays, I just went fucking insane. Like it was like a person taking, thinking they could take one hit of meth (laughs) after being sober. And I was like, the next thing I knew I was in like a sex motel. (laughs) With, eating, with eating a babka. Yeah. I was just like eating whatever I could in whatever combination I could. It was, I was an animal. Right. I'm disgusted. Like most people have fears that their laptop camera is recording them naked. My fear is that it's recording me and what I'm eating while I'm on the computer. <laughs> when you're putting like, whipped cream on cookies. I'm just cookies. like eating, putting, putting whipped cream on cookies, shoving anything in my fucking face that can go. My laptop is disgusting. It has like Dorito crumbs on it. <laughs> Like, I honestly, I'm like, I should just take it to the genius bar just so they clean it. Like, right. pretend. Because you know how they always clean it when they fix something? They do? Yeah. They, like, wipe it down with some cloth or something. <laughs> I'm like, I should just pretend I have a problem and get them to wipe it down at least. Because I don't know what they do. It always comes out really slick and, like, brand new, oily kind of. Like, this, like, oil sheen. Like, I don't know. I don't know how all those potato chips got in there. What? That's not liquid damage. <laughs> That's powder cheese damage. it's covered under warranty it's disgusting if you open up my laptop i guarantee you it's 90 percent crumbs oh <laughs> like same it's held together by crumbs my same. laptop so. oh i also have something i wanted to say uh we've done rachel's tv corner we've done rachel's movie corner yeah we've even done rachel's vaginal health corner okay we're doing Rachel's podcast corner. Oh. I have a podcast recommendation. Okay. My friend Andy Sell, he's a comic and I really like him a lot. He has a amazing podcast called Ghoul School. It is a horror history podcast. Oh, I saw you guys talking about this. It is so great. If anyone is interested in even just in film in general, he is so smart and I mean I'm learning stuff I didn't even know about just different stuff especially if you're like a genre fan if you're like into horror the horror genre you'll really like this podcast it's very smart um and I highly recommend it and I feel like it's one of those underrated shows that should get more love oh cool yeah I'm gonna check it out you should it's I good. saw you guys talking about it and meant to look into it it's there just, was only like two episodes right there's three episodes okay. now but it's just really it's just an interesting show <laughs> yeah I He's think. really funny and smart. And he was on our Eating Pie podcast once, He was. Right? Yeah. He's a friend of the show, technically. Technically, he is. Okay. Well, Good that's it. Yeah. Um, okay. So a movie came out recently called Can You Ever Forgive Me? And it is about a woman named Lee Israel who committed one of the biggest literary hoaxes ever. And she seems like a real character. And you're going to see some examples of that uh, when I get into her uh, history. Well, I mean, if Melissa McCarthy is going to play you in a movie. Yeah, she doesn't usually play demure characters. No. <laughs> Sorry. And I love her. Uh, well, Rachel, I do not love her. What? Yeah. Wait, I Melissa? I don't love her. Yeah, I don't love her. Really? And I have a personal beef with her. Why? Uh, it's a Hollywood feud. <laughs> so Ryan Murphy, if you're out there <laughs> listening. I'm shocked. Let's just say she doesn't like my brand of comedy. It's a little too vulgar. Melissa uh, McCarthy? Yes. Yes. What? Mm-hmm. 
Did she at reply you? No, this is like back in the day when I was at Groundlings. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I fucking can't stand her. And this was before Whoa. she was really big. She was right. like on a few TV shows, I guess. Yeah. But she didn't have like the bridesmaids thing. So yeah, I can't she fucking stand her. She thinks you're too vulgar? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, anyway. Didn't she shit in a sink in a movie? I guess, I guess she, I don't know. Maybe I inspired her. <laughs> maybe she wanted to, t- maybe she wanted to take me down. Okay. All I mean, right. I'm not an actress, so I don't know what her problem was. But, uh, anyways, that's why I didn't see the movie because I don't like her and okay. I won't see any movie with Melissa McCarthy because she's a bitch. That's my opinion. You guys can like her. Don't fucking at me. I don't care. We all have different opinions. I mean, I still like her, but I, I, right. But don't be friends with her. <laughs> I would never go against our friendship by being friends with one of your enemies. Exactly. Especially, I wouldn't be friends with Alyssa Milano. Right. Because you've had beef with her since Who's the Boss? Exactly. She was the girl I wanted to be. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, anyways, it's not really that important. I don't really care about Melissa McCarthy. Anyways, that's probably why I won't see the movie. And typically, I don't like that type of role like that she plays. I don't find it that amusing. Okay. Uh, anyway, the story... Is very good though. Okay. So I wanted to uh, tell it. And literary hoaxes in general are something I find fascinating. Like I love the JT Leroy, the James Fry. I love it. The one from the 70s, like the Howard Hughes one. All of these shows I would probably be doing episodes on yeah. in the future because I think that they're amazing. Like I love the balls it takes to literally think you're going to fool the world in mm. like such a major way. It's right. crazy. So today we're going to get into uber abrasive bitch Lee Israel because she's fucking obnoxious. Uh, I love her in theory, but I probably would want to punch her in real life. Okay. Like she's, she doesn't have a charm to her, yeah. but she is a bitch, so it's funny. Um, so early in her life, let's go back to her early life. She was born in Brooklyn to Jack and Sylvia Israel. She has a brother, Edward, who she was never close to. So I'm sure there's some family drama there that I never could find. In 1961, she graduated from Brooklyn College. And shortly after she graduates, she begins working as a freelance writer. She kind of focused in on celebrity profiles and she started working for major publications doing these uh, celebrity puff pieces, basically. She had a really big interview in November of 1967. Um, it was in Esquire magazine and it was a profile of Catherine Hepburn. She had just visited Catherine Hepburn in California right before the death of Spencer Tracy. So by the time it came out, it was like, everyone was obsessed with what was, you know, how she was doing. And you know what I mean? It had all that kind of like, it just hit at the right time. Cause obviously when he died, everyone was like, well, what's Catherine Hepburn right. <laughs> doing? So this magazine career kind of continued into the seventies and eventually she moves into the celebrity bio sort of world. And that was in the late seventies and early eighties. She wrote a biography of Tallulah Bankhead, oh. which I'm sure is probably pretty good. And she also wrote a bio of game show panelist and journalist Dorothy Kilgallen which made the New York Times bestsellers list. And Dorothy is also someone I want to do a future episode on because she has an insane, uh, great story. Things start falling apart in a major way, though, in the early 80s or mid-80s. Despite all of the success success she had, she was broke because she made a lot of bad financial decisions. She, uh, I don't think I mentioned this yet, but she was an alcoholic. Okay. (laughs) So that didn't help matters as far as like managing a career, especially in like a freelance kind of, I mean, she had to be on top of her game. Right. And that's a pretty lucrative market and there's a lot of competition too. So she was up 
to do a Betty Davis biography and that sort of failed to, to come together because her and Betty Davis clashed. Right. Uh, when she was asked about what happened, she replied, I yelled back, <laughs> which is iconic. That is. Cause can you even imagine fighting with Betty Davis? You don't want to get on her bad side. I mean, I can't, I would like piss my pants if I got into a fight with Betty Davis. I would be so frightened. I would too. I, I, how would you? You like, can't do it. So, I mean, that just tells you something about her personality. Right. The, the idea that she would take on Betty Davis is insane to me. You tried it, bitch. She tried it. And she, uh, you know what? She lost her job. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it was worth it. So in 1983, she receives an advance from Macmillan Publishing to begin a, an unauthorized bio on cosmetic queen Estee Lauder and they really wanted it to be like a Kitty Kelly type tell all warts and all like expose yeah. on Estee Lauder. I mean that automatically just seems very 80s to me that like Estee Lauder is a big enough star totally. <laughs> to take down. Totally. Like, according to Israel, Estee Lauder was constantly trying to bribe her to drop the project. Oh. But uh she didn't dropped the project. She went on to write the bio, which did have some warts, even though she wasn't that into the warts, according to her. And some of the things she took down about Estee Lauder was the, uh, that she had been lying, that she was born into European aristocracy, aristocracy. I mean, I don't know. Cause I'm just a down home girl from Florida. <laughs> uh, and that she attended church regularly in Palm beach, Florida. I mean, that seems like pretty tame, uh, lies. Um, but Estee Lauder was not happy about it. She wrote a competing autobiography that came oh. out at the same time as um, Lee Israel's. And it basically, her bio kind of took over, her autobiography took over, and and Lee's bio was like panned and a complete fucking failure. Right. Why would you listen to her? Here's my own words. Right. Uh, and I don't think it was juicy enough. Right. Because if you're going to buy one of those, you want it to be fucking juicy, like the one on Nancy Reagan by Kitty Kelly or Frank Sinatra. Like those were fucking juicy, yeah. like bios. According to Lee, I had made a mistake. Instead of taking a great deal of money from a woman as rich as Oprah, I published a bad, unimportant book, rushed out in months to beat hers to the market like a little piggy or something. <laughs> Did she say like a little piggy? Yes. <laughs> the bomb basically ruined her at that point. Like she was just like, over. Yeah. Uh, she still was getting like a few little, um, celebrity profi- profile jobs, but nothing major. According to her writers, unlike lawyers, doctors, agents, and Verizon information do not get paid when they fail or misjudge. So she was like, I'm doing Gerardo's biography now. Yeah. <laughs> but she couldn't even get Gerardo. Rico Suave. <laughs> uh, I know who Gerardo is. <laughs> I was, just, I was trying to gauge to see, like, am I going to learn something about Desi right now? It's like, is she, like, like, am I going to learn that Desi had a crush on Gerardo? No. Gerardo, <laughs> n- that was, like, <laughs> come on. I was You're just, the one who liked Ice, Ice Cube. What's his name? No, not, no Vanilla uh, Ice. Vanilla Ice. Look, I thought Vanilla <laughs> Ice was hot, but I was also very young. Well, he was in Madonna's book, so that gave him a little cachet for yes. a few seconds that where it's like, yes, he's stupid, but you want to fuck him, right? Like yeah. Madonna gave him some sex appeal. Right. Uh, but yeah, I did not ever want to fuck him. Thanks. Nice try, Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> so as I said, Lee is really struggling at this point. She is getting some assignments here and there, and she gets a job selling books at The Strand, which is an iconic yeah. New York City bookstore. She, While she's working at The Strand, she becomes pissed off at a book buyer who refused to buy 
who refused to buy the books she was suggesting, which were hers, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) She slams the books to the floor and eventually gets banned from the store for life. Oh, my God. Making this huge scene. Lee does not back down at this point. She calls one of uh, one of the employees who like was responsible for getting her banned. She calls them and claims to be his neighbor and tells him his house is on fire. So she like pranks him. Oh like, my after god! After the fact, she also begins prank calling other former friends and people in the industry, pretending to be different celebrities, uh, which get, got her like a letter of like a cease and desist letter from Nora Ephron's lawyer. <laughs> Because she pretended to be Nora and, Ephron. Yeah, and a, a visit from detectives. Like, that's how bad it got. Oh, my God. Iconic. Yeah, like, that is iconic. I love going after Nora Ephron. For some reason, that just seems like very New York to Rest me. in peace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Lee did not like work in the grind. Like, she she liked writing, uh, but she didn't want to do, like, a nine-to-five. And it sounds uh, like she didn't want to play the game of, like, networking and being nice to people. and No. She that was sort not of her bag. Just acted exactly how she felt. She never didn't censor herself. And she also has like some illusions of grandeur too. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know that they're necessarily unwarranted, but in my opinion, everyone should not think that about themselves, even when they are great. <laughs> like you, you're, you're, you're going to screw yourself over thinking you're too good for anything. I, in my opinion. Yeah. According to her, I regarded with pity and disdain the short-sleeved wage slaves who worked in offices. I had no reason to believe life would get anything but better. So despite her fall from grace, she thinks she's, you know, it's, she's talented. She's going to have things pick up again. Right. She's Lee Israel, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So by now it's 1990. She's 51 years old. She has, according to a friend, the temperament that made conventional employment nearly impossible. Um, she's struggling with her rent. She has a massive gin habit. And on top of all of that, she's in, she's madly in love with her stray cat. (laughs) Who has a really huge veterinarian bill. Well, that's relatable. So things are just like, you know, everything is just at like a tipping point right, right. now. The cat, she's taking the cat in for tests yeah. and stuff like that. She can't come up with the $40 she needs to pay to get the results back. So Aww. they basically take the cat, t- give her the cat the test, but they're not going to give her the results until she pays them. Okay. I would be in there like Shirley MacLaine in terms of endearments being like, give me the test. Yeah. <laughs> give me the test. <laughs> so... At this time, she's working on an article about comedian, singer, actress Fanny Bryce for Soap Opera Digest. I mean, you know, it doesn't get cooler than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is where her life of crime begins. And it's it's really like that she's really trying to get the forty dollars to pay the cat vet bills, which I I like relate to so hard, and I find oh. it just like utterly charming for some reason. And so according to Lee, it happened incrementally, like most evil things do. <laughs> Jesus. Like, I love that that's in your vocabulary to right. say. Like, I went to the library and was given a bunch of letters, which I should not have been given in a non-secure area. While reading the letters, letters by Franny Bryce, because she's like researching um, some stuff for this article. While reading the letters, she was reminded of a letter she once received from Catherine Hepburn, whom uh, she had interviewed, as I mentioned before, for Esquire about uh, Spencer Tracy's death. The letter was soaked in Hepburn's tears, and Israel uh, sold that letter at some point for $250. So this gives her like a little bit of a light bulb moment while she's in the library uh, reading Fanny Bryce's letters, she thinks of that. Oh, like, oh, remember that time I sold that one for $250. So instead of returning all of the letters when the librarian came back or whatever, however that works, you know me, I've never gone to a library. (laughs) (laughs) 
I have, but not in that in that way, like a serious, like taking out like archived, like right historical documents. She keeps a few of the letters written by Fanny Bryce. She like basically tucks them into her shoes and walks out the door with these letters. According to her, there was a big white space at the bottom of a letter after yours truly, Fanny Bryce. I got an old typewriter and I wrote a couple of hot sentences that improved the letter and elevated the price. Oh my God. She sells each one of these letters for $40 a piece. And that was like just enough for her (laughs) to pay the the vet (laughs) bill. And have like a little, according to her, it was the first time in a long time I had a little jingle in my jeans. <laughs> so she gets Kat's test back. But more importantly, the guy or the person who purchased the letter said to her, I'll pay more for better content in the future. <laughs> like if you have anything else, come back to me and I, there's more money where that came from. So Lee Israel has a new career at this point. Wow. As I mentioned before, she had bought that used typewriter to give, like she got a typewriter from the era that those letters were written to kind of match them up. She returns to the library to get more Fanny Bryce letters. This time, instead of selling the letters themselves, she brings them home, retypes them, juices them up, adds comments about Bryce's very public relationship with a gambler who was famous named Nikki Arnstein. And the next letter she has sells for $595. She expands her range of celebrities She writes letters eventually from Dorothy Parker and No Coward. Um, In addition to the first typewriter she buys, like this is how serious she gets about it. She keeps a rented storage locker on the Upper West Side. Each typewriter has a tag on it with different names. Dorothy, Noel, Eugene O'Neill, Bogart, Louise Brooks. So it's not coming from the same. So she has like typewriters from every decade or year that they, they were written. And each person gets their own typewriter so that they always will kind of match up. In addition to that, she gets paper that's from the right age when the letters were supposedly written. And the way she does that is she goes to libraries, removes vintage paper from the back of period journals. <laughs> like she like rips paper, like blank paper out of books so that the age of the paper is also accurate to the time right. period she's saying that they're written from. Now she's also like an experienced researcher based on her career and, and you know, her her writing career. So she tracks down letters written by all of her subjects and extract and kind of extracts characteristics that they all had. So her forgeries are very authentic. Yeah. She also spends like a ton of time tracing over their signatures to duplicate because the letters are typed, but then she'll always sign them. So she just spends hours and hours practicing and tracing all of their signatures to perfect them. According to the FBI agent, um, a man named Carl Burrell, who eventually takes her down. She was brilliant. Uh, he particularly was fond of a letter that she had forged by Ernest Hemingway. In the letter, he was complaining about Spencer Tracy being cast as the main character in The Old Man in the Sea. The other thing about Lee is she's really funny. Like, <laughs> so she's able, I mean, can you imagine, I mean, once again, the nerve to think you could forge Dorothy Parker right. or Noel Coward, like famous, like witty, like smart writers. Right. That takes like some chutzpah, right? Oh, like, absolutely. I mean, so she's really good at it though. She's able to mimic these people's writing styles to a T and she even makes the letters like livelier than the original, like other letters that they have done that are right. on record. My success as a forger was somehow in sync with the erstwhile success as a biographer. I had for decades practiced a kind of merged identity with my subject. To say I channeled is only a slight exaggeration. 
some of the some of the letters that she wrote would be like Edna Ferber. Uh, so she would have Edna Ferber complaining about the noise of construction workers outside of her apartment. Make it, it will make a Tory out of me yet. Like right. this kind of stuff. Louise Brooks, which is a famous actress, by the way, I was Louise Louise Brooks for like three Halloweens in a row. I believe, and that. I was like, I'm gonna, I should do that costume again. It's very <laughs> easy. You just need a black dress, a long pearl necklace, and a black bob wig. It's so so easy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Like I said, the Dorothy Parker, she actually says at some point, I'm a better Dorothy Parker than Dorothy Parker. Damn. <laughs> like, she, she's got it. Like, as I said, extensive research went into her fakes. When she started on a series by Louise Brooks, 
she writes that she started with baby steps, still very unsure of myself. I cobbled together, taking paragraphs from several letters, mixing and matching, changing the prose only slightly in the style of most of her letters would, would start containing gossip and insults. She writes the scandals, the more scandalous, the more pleased the dealers were. Uh, I cl- a clucked ton meant a better price. So she would, I mean, that was her thing. Like she would make them have juicy details right. that had like other dissing other celebrities and things like that. So people would really want her letters. Yeah, people would really want these things. With Noel Coward, at some point, she eventually composed over 150 letters by Noel Coward, which is like an insane. I've, I would be like, I think I would do like Louise Brooks probably more. Like she wasn't like, like to to like think you could do that many Noel Coward letters is wow. crazy to me. I have some of her letters that I'm going to read. I'm not going to read them all because that would take forever. So I'm going to just try to hit on some things. The one from Louise Brooks, or one of them, is literally just all about taking down Charlie Chaplin. So it's like she calls him cheap Charlie. He would write a vulgar book for vulgar people. (laughs) She she just goes on to also uh, criticize him for omitting Martha Ray from his movie Verdot. She also like goes on to talk about how much she loves her little cult fans club that she's gained like after because she kind of got like famous later in life like she kind of disappeared and then she kind of got like a little cult revival um following later maybe in the 70s she wrote like a bio it might have been earlier than that she also at the end of her letter talks about um her upside down cake she's like She's like, I'm glad you like the upside down cake. It's was, one of my specialties. Was it? I have no idea, but that was in the forgery. I was like, that's a nice touch. Like, yeah. I, I, I was like, mm, that sounds really good. Was like, but what was it? Pineapple? Like, what was it? I love upside down. I love cake. upside down cake, but I would love to know all the different combinations. I would too. Like, come on, get your. Uh, so the Noel Coward one. He talks about Marlena Dietrich. Dietrich in this one, and he calls her a kraut, the silly old kraut. <laughs> <laughs> She's an attractive woman on the face, most attractive woman on the face of the earth. And during this brief period of time, it has, has ceased moaning about getting old. It's just like this kind of stuff. He calls her the queen mother. And then he signs it off. You told me nothing about Bob as, as am I to assume that it's over? I mean, it's just like all this kind of like whatever. So pretty much everything she's selling is like, she adds All of this in, is a lie. No, I know that. Oh, right. I'm saying everything she's selling. It's like, oh, all these celebrities just happen to have all these juicy letters right they're always writing about other celebs like right yeah a uh, dorothy parker one she talks about gertrude stein gertrude stein was right about roses but she was all wet about california she said there was no there there well i'm here to tell you there is (laughs) so it's just like p.s i have a hangover hangover out of gonoids gonod's faust what i don't know that was supposedly like one of her favorite lines that so, she wrote? Yeah. What the fuck is Gnod? Let very, me read that. Rachel doesn't trust my interpretation. I don't it's trust the PS. Oh, no. Desi really did pronounce it how it's spelled. <clears throat> yeah. I guess there probably was a big drinking scene in that. <laughs> Sorry. Please, come on. What is, I'm a Gona- what is Gonad's Faust? I guess it's like a book. <laughs> we're really, we're really uh, selling ourselves out here. Jesus. I think it's a book. Um... So another famous Dorothy Parker letter she wrote has the, uh, the ender. I am thinking of having a little letters runoff saying, can you ever forgive me, Dorothy? And that's the title of her memoir that will eventually come out about this period. Oh. Can you ever forgive me? That's a great taken, title for a memoir. It's a great title for a memoir. And it's, it's a great send off 
I, I like that sign off. Can you ever forgive me? <laughs> like you're just always fucking up. Right. <laughs> one of her biggest letters that was like sort of the most publicized is this one from Noel Coward where he talks about Julie Andrews. So this one is him talking about Julie Andrews. She's much like, uh, he describes her as Edna, Edna Ferber's twin, but what can one do? I liked her athletic careering nun in The Sound of Music. She's bright, talented actress and quite attractive since she dealt with her monstrous English overbright. <laughs> So he's like dissing Julie Andrews. Who does that? I mean, it's it's pretty wretched. Uh, he goes on to talk about, about Marlena in this, calling her a crowd again. Again. I mean, it's just stuff like this. Again, like, I think it's very unrealistic that <clears throat> all of these celebrities happen to be just like talking shit about other celebrities in their letters. And that she happens to have them all. Like, right. who is she? Right. Yeah. So that should have been the first tip off. Look, we're going to get into these things. Okay. <laughs> She's selling these letters right now to about 30 different dealers across the nation. So uh, I think she started off a little cheap. She starts kind of upping the fees a bit. Um, six of the Noel Cowards sold for $1,200 and she did that because she needed some root canal work. Oh. So she's, I have to give her credit. She's kind of like not going overboard. Like right. she, when she needs some money, she does it. And she, She's kind of on the low end as far as these things go. She's not overcharging a ton. She's also not buying like a new jet ski. Exactly. The letter I just read, and there was one other, but I couldn't find out what it was. They're, they were so convincing that they actually both ended up in a book that came out in 2007, The Letters of Noel Coward. Wow. And this is after she was busted for it. They still ended up in the book. That's just bad research. Yeah. According to... The people, it won't be in the, the future editions or the paperback version right. of the book. But that's pretty amazing that they ended up in the book at all. Yeah. So, like I said, she kind of just saw it as writing fiction. But, like, she could have more fun it fun with it than she did when she was writing these bios and, like, uh, reports. You own the character. I finally owned Noel Coward and Edna Ferber and Louise Brooks, and people like that. I had always adored large personalities. I had a good ear and, I guess, a talent to amuse. I could be funny, and that's how I did it. I mean, it's like fan fiction. <clears throat> totally. So, I mean, I guess, like, in a way, it's easy to latch on to people who are kind of witty. Like, you just have to find these clever turns of phrase. But it's not as easy no, as it sounds. No. I mean, you have to be good at it. Well, some people are... You have to actually be clever and witty, I think. You have to be clever and witty, but you also have to be really in... in like, you have to have a knack for uh, imitating people yeah. and seeing their the way they phrase things and seeing... Right. And these are not things that they published so they can't be super overwritten it has to right. have a more casual tone right how did she kind of get believe people to believe this according to her i had a whole cock and bull story made up about the cousin who died and left me all of these wonderful letters well who the fuck was the cousin <laughs> exactly so i never had to explain she also described autograph dealers as spectacularly incurious like they just wanted it and they didn't really fucking care where it came from basically right so it was a combination of a few things that kind of let her get away with it for a while. But eventually these brilliant Noel, Noel Coward letters were the first to send up red flags. Yeah. She claims, like she did with Dorothy Par Parker, it was a very good coward. It was better coward than coward. Coward didn't have to be coward. I had to be coward and a half. <laughs> so she's like, my job's even harder than being him. She had one flaw in her in her plan to be to out Noel Coward no coward. And that was that she went too far being open about his homosexuality. There were a lot of references to dear boys. Hey boy, how is Bernie? Sorry. 
and that sort of thing. But the fact of the matter is, and I don't think I gave it much thought, but somebody else did. Noel Coward came up in a very difficult period to be homosexual. It was a jailing offense. So it would have been very unlikely for Coward to put all of these kind of campy references into any kind of correspondence that went out into the world. Right. So that was kind of her fatal flaw. West Coast dealers were the first to kind of smell something fishy and then it just kind of spread. She started hearing tales of dealers at memorabilia shows going around to booths that carried her letters and sort of saying, hey, that's fake. Um, A famed radio announcer named Paul Harvey began cryptically speaking on air of a shakeup in the autograph field. (laughs) Can you imagine that ever being on a radio show? Um, And the post Cindy Adams ran a warning in her column um, about a fake celebrity letter thing Look, going I just on. love the idea of this whole world of like antiques dealers and memorabilia dealer- dealers and having there be drama. Like, I love that. Especially with something that's like, with these old celebrities just kind of makes it funnier to me. It's <laughs> like, so it's funny. This, yeah. Because it's not this like... <clears throat> and ser- nothing is really scandalous. Like the letters no. aren't saying anything or revealing no. anything. It's just like little bitchy gossip things. Soon after these rumors started going around, a New York dealer became furious because he learned that he had bought a forged Dorothy Parker letter from her. He threatened to testify against her before a grand jury unless she paid him $5,000. So he kind of blackmailed her because he didn't spend that much money on the letter, but he knew he had her in a bind. Right. Uh, That was the end of my career as a forger, she said at the time. She was basically a persona non grata in that world at that point. She couldn't sell anything anymore. And she couldn't sell anything. But she still needed fucking money. And that is when a plan came into view when she was contacted from prison by an old friend. (laughs) So So she was arrested? No. She just kind of... She was not arrested. Okay. She's out of that field because she got busted forging letters. But no one ever came after her criminally at that point. Okay. So... She gets the call from this guy. His name is Jack Hawk, and he's played by Richard E. Grant in the movie. This movie, I didn't see it, obviously, but I read about it for for, uh, the show. It's basically like um, I saw it described as kind of like a midnight cowboy. It's like these two friends in this criminal enterprise together. So it's almost like a buddy movie. Right. He's like um, a dandy kind of gay guy, and she's like a real gruff lesbian and she is lesbian. Oh, she is a lesbian. <clears throat> but she has no romantic relationships ever in her life. So it's like this gruff lesbian and this like, <laughs> you know, flaming gay guy. Right. That's like the friendship. It's like in the early 90s. Uh, and do people do comment? I don't think the movie got great reviews, but a lot of people love the period of New York that yeah. it's set in. And that supposedly was done very well. Jack is like a, a hustler, yeah. basically. He um, had a history of suffering from beatings. Um, from other hustlers that he would have service him and refuse to pay. So this guy is like definitely on the fringes of like, um, I wouldn't say he's a hardcore criminal, but he kind of does a lot of petty stuff. Right. He was in prison for robbing a cab driver at knife point. So when he writes to Israel that he's going to be out of prison soon, he also told her that he had uh, contracted HIV. He was HIV positive too at that time. Uh, So, She's like unsure about him because their history in the past was that he had at some point optioned a book she had written and was going to try to sell it in Hollywood. So they had had some kind of shady business dealings beforehand before he was in prison and she tried to end it, but he kept trying to sell it beyond the expiration of the option. 
So he kind of was trying to cheat her out of this book money. According to everyone, and like I was reading about this, it's like a very ironic behavior because he was trying to sell her forged letter to sell the option to the book. Right. But she had not agreed to it. But now she needed him because she needs someone to help her sell these fucking forgeries. They agreed to meet for a drink. According to Lee, so this is when it gets bad. I mean, evil. I mean, you know, bad. Is that hold what she your, said? Yeah. Hold your ears if you can't stand it. Really? <laughs> yeah. I went to a very prestigious archives and dup- would d- duplicate the letter. I'd go back to the library and I'd switch it. Uh, so what she was doing <laughs> before she would just steal the letters. Right. And like maybe jazz them up and stuff or rewrite letters. <laughs> Uh, and start, and then she would start making her own letters and selling right. them. Now what she was doing was taking real letters, <laughs> rewriting them to a, a perfection, right? Putting the forgeries back in the library so she had the original. She should have been so doing that she, the whole time. Now she's not selling forgeries; <laughs> she's selling real letters. She's just stealing but them. She's just stealing them from libraries, <laughs> right. And replacing them with forgeries. Uh, she goes on to say, I'm not a sociopath. Of course I knew, but I also had no choice, it seemed to me. At this point, part of the impetus was she needed $5,000 for something. So the plan was they got the originals, and then Hawk would sell the originals since she couldn't show her face anymore in the dealer community. And then Hawk would get 50% of the the cut for the right. sales. A dealer named David Lowenhetz, he's a New York auto, autograph dealer, he said about it, that the, she thought she was going to get away with this time because she wasn't selling fakes, that she was substituting. Like To her, that was sort of like more legit. I just love that letters are the hill that she's going to die on. Right. Like that she just can't fathom doing anything else. She's like, I have to forge letters for my career. You know what? It's Yeah. No <laughs> matter what, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and it worked for a while. For the first half of 1992, this arrangement was successful. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like no. several years. No. For the first half. I mean, it works for a bit. Okay. She, at some point, does discover that Hawk is sort of skimming off the top. And according to her, grifter's habits die hard. The reality is Hawk was so much more charming of a person. He was getting way more money than she ever would have got. Like, she's just this gruff bitch who was just like, I don't know, 50 bucks. Like, (laughs) But he was really selling them and getting way more money. So even though he was kind of, you know, taking a little bit extra. He's like the music man. She was getting so much more that it was, like, worthwhile. Uh, It was actually that dealer that I just mentioned who discovered the first uh, forgery, or I guess whatever it's called, the fake, the stolen letter fake. It was him. Yeah, David. Wait a minute. And this was uh, a letter from Ernest Hemingway that he had purchased. So at some point, he purchases this letter, and then he realizes that it's a part of Columbia University's collection. So this gets him to be like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> how is that possible? So he contacts the university to see if they still have the letter. They do. And he is confused. And he says, well, how are there two of these letters? He says, is there any way you can tell me who had recent access to this letter? They come back and say to him, yeah, we have the, the person who checked it out last. Her name's Lee Israel. <laughs> oh. So that's kind of how that all falls apart around this time. Uh, so he started kind of contacting her and be like, Hey, what's up? There's two of these letters. Da, 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 da. Around the same time, Hawk tells Lee that a dealer in Philadelphia canceled an appointment to buy something because his sister was in town and he, um, couldn't meet up and he had, he didn't make any effort to reschedule. 
Lee feels like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Because this is like, no dealer would pass up the opportunity to buy like a really lucrative letter. So she finds that suspicious. So she doesn't know what's going on. Like it's starting to seem like people are onto her again. Right. She starts kind of thinking about like, I'm going to go to prison and freaking out. On July 27th, 1992, she's waiting at a deli for, for Hawk to show up. They're like supposedly in the midst of some deal when she is stopped by an FBI agent who tells her that they know everything. Um, one of her customers, who was like a regular customer, was cooperating with the FBI at this right. point. She says after the agents confront her outside of the deli, they leave without arresting her or telling her what's going to happen next. So she goes home to her apartment on Riverside Drive and gets rid of all of the evidence. She discards um, all of the typewriters. She discards all of the paper that she had been using. By the time she gets served with a federal warrant to ordering her to save evidence, it's already all destroyed. <laughs> like, isn't that unbelievable that yeah. they didn't immediately, like, See. put a, do a search on her apartment? Like, right. they gave her time to, like, get rid of all of the evidence. In her memoir, she says she was never arrested or handcuffed. And in June of 1993, she pleads guilty to conspiracy to transport stolen property. She served six months under house arrest and five years of federal probation. So she doesn't serve any jail time. She uh, was barred by virtually all archives and libraries. So, I mean, wow. basically she can't do that anymore. She eventually gets a copy to copy editing job for Scholastic Magazine, which is great because it's kind of amazing she got any job <laughs> in publishing after that. Hawk receives three years of probation. Um, she's pretty unrepentant through all these court appearances, by the way. She's upfront about the fact that her white uh, privilege kind of let her glide through the system more easily than most. My crime and lawyers talk, according to her, was a sexy crime. <laughs> she's very unsexy, by the way. <laughs> I'm just saying. So it's kind of a funny thing to think of her saying. I mentioned before, she didn't really make a lot of money from these letters. She normally sold them from anywhere from $50 to $100 each. Like she had a few that went way over. Yeah. But most of them were like in that range. That's probably part of the reason I mentioned before that they kind of didn't really like cause an alarm, any alarm bells early on. She sold about 400 letters and her maximum profit was probably about $40,000, which is an insanely low. And this is over three years. That's not a lot of money for over three years committing like fraud. I feel like, I mean, I thought it also was like crazy that this was just a three year period that she did all of this crazy stuff. So the FBI did come in and recover a lot of the stolen letters that were her forgeries. Like they went to the people and got them back and et cetera. But as of 2015, the agent who was in charge of the case doesn't really know how many are out there that are, have still been uncovered, wow. undiscovered. So in 2008, she does end up making some money from her exploits when she writes this memoir about right. what happened called Can You Ever Forgive Me? And that's the, the, that's the book that the movie is based on. Uh, as I mentioned before, the title is from that sort of signature sign-off from Dorothy Parker that she forged. And it's like, as I mentioned, it's like a perfect fuck you. Right. Because <laughs> it's just it's just dripping with sarcasm. It's a great title. Uh, and she's pretty unrepentant. And like the biography is basically her just like in love with herself for coming up with this scheme <laughs> and being so good at it. Um, Look, I mean, 
of all the crimes we've covered, it's not the worst. I will say it's that. really hurting nobody, right? <laughs> it, it's like hurting people out of like a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. And any, I mean, the Which truth anyone of the matter who has, is, it's anyone just a who piece has of paper. Well, anyone who has money to spend on a fucking letter from right. a celebrity is probably not hurting for cash. So. I mean, a lot of people were critical of the biography. They didn't think Simon and Schuster should have given her money, like she's profiting right. from her crimes. Right. Um, one reviewer wrote, "What this is is a hilarious memoir of a self-described miscreant and her pursuit of a meal ticket." Ironically, in a joke, the reader will share by purchasing her book. We all participate in buying her that meal. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, what about the cat? Uh, yeah. Can exactly. you? Can you? I don't do have it? any updates on the cat. Can I'm you sorry. do it for the cat? Yeah. I mean, come on. She was doing it for the cat. It wasn't like she, like you said, she, it wasn't like she was living the high life. Right. She's literally paying for like necessities Mes- with this Medical money. bills and stuff. Another reviewer kind of was a little more kind. I'm certainly not angry anymore, though it was an expensive and very large learning experience for me. And she really is an excellent writer. She made, she made the letters terrific. So I don't know if this person had, oh, How she much? had, she was a bookstore owner who had purchased some of the forged letters. As I said, the memoir is like, is basically her relishing in, in what she did. <laughs> Someone said, even in her worst moments, an apartment infested with flies and an, an exterminator disgusted to the point of refusing to enter, she's <laughs> smug and amused with herself. <laughs> she sees herself as a true talent, unjustly toppled from literary grace. <laughs> I just, there's something I, about, I really relate to being like in squalor and still thinking you're the queen of the fucking world. Like, I don't oh, think I've ever God. lived in squalor, but I really relate to it. Rachel's like, oh, I have. Hold my beer. Hold my beer. <laughs> I, when I, it's like when I um, went to my first rehab after living in a crack house and I walked into the rehab and went, this place isn't that nice. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen better. Also in her memoir, at, when she was sentenced to all of her whatever house arrest, she was also reported to attend an alcohol treatment program. I guess that was one of her requirements. But in her book, she was like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) I skipped that part. (laughs) Um, Actor Bob Balaban, who is an executive producer of this movie, actually became friends with her later in her life. And like during the promotion for the movie and like a QA, and a he said that she would often go to lunch meetings early so that she could drink before everyone else arrived. Like that was like her thing. I kind of get that. I've done that before. When I have to meet someone, I'm like, I'm going to go a little early and well, loosen up. Well, I mean, it's one thing if you're having a glass of wine to loosen yeah, up. Yeah, how loose it's, did she get? Right. Is she drinking, like, shots in her car? Um, by the way, another I, – I, there is a little bit of a cat update. The Scholastic magazine <laughs> job she got, part of it – part of the benefits was veterinary coverage. Aww. So that is kind of sweet. I feel like she had, like, a little angel at Scholastic. <laughs> right. that doesn't seem like a typical no. uh, benefit. No. So – some of the things in the movie, one of the main things in the movie, I mentioned that she was a lesbian. She never had, there's no relationship of record. Right. She basically dies alone. Like she never had any significant relationship other right. than this um, hot guy. In the movie, they do make it look like, like she had a relationship. Um, there's a bookshop she visits in the movie with a woman named Anna um, who is kind of helping her unknowingly yeah. with her forgeries like oh yeah this is this looks good so she kind of unwillingly or unknowingly is sort of guiding her to make better right. forgeries they have like a little bit of a i don't know like a almost relationship like the woman is definitely interested but in the movie lee is sort of like i can't 
I don't have, tr- I have I trust have issues. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. So they have this like little build up to her moments, but this is completely fictionalized. This person doesn't exist. She's not even based on anyone okay. or even an amalgamation of people. She's but they, just, they for put it in the movie. purposes. I, I guess. I'm not quite sure why they did it. It doesn't really matter. There isn't much known about uh, the friend, Jack, uh, who helps her throughout. Jack the, Hawk? Yeah. So even in her memoir, she doesn't really talk about him that much or his history. Obviously, the guy who plays him, Richard E. Grant, had like not that much to deal with, but he did kind of give a little insight in an interview I read by him. He said that he was from Portland, he was blonde, he was tall, he was charming, and he eventually does die of AIDS at the age of 47 in 1994. Um, he kind of had a very like famous look or, or he had like a real look like he would right. he would smoke cigarettes with a cigarette holder uh he his style was described as a being a dandy uh he in the movie some of the stills i saw he has like scarves and hats and like right. whatever and she's a real schlub so it is quite <laughs> a pair like going about new york in the early 90s <laughs> one of the other interesting things that i thought richard talks about in this interview with the ad advocate was like these unlikely opposites coming together and he kind of commented on like that the the era where gay people really relied on each other. Yeah. Like they would just come to. And I just thought that was like an interesting aspect to this relationship, even though they're the opposites. Well, I mean, there was like this. Yeah, like, lesbians did a ton of work helping right. during the AIDS crisis before they kind of start their life of crime. Like when he like got in touch with her, he said to her early on in their friendship, "I haven't got any friends. They're all dead." Just yeah. kind of like a sad, and then he has her. So they do have this kind of weird friendship, I think, that just worked and was sort of cemented by the period that they right. were in. Like right. you said, uh, it was a common friendship, I think, at that time. Not that it isn't now, but Lee considered obviously this criminal career that she had her greatest achievement. <laughs> In an interview, she said, the forged letters were larky and fun and totally cool. I still consider the letters to be my best work. Reminiscent of Dustin Hoffman's summing up in Tootsie, I was a better writer as a forger than I had ever been as a writer. She dies in late 2014 of myeloma. A little side note that I think is pretty fascinating is that now her forgeries are actually worth money. I was going to say that. Yeah. Aren't the forgeries worth yeah, money Yeah, the forgeries now? now are worth money. And they're probably worth more right. <laughs> than if they were, like, originals. And she kind of got to see that before she died. That's so that funny. definitely, like... Did she get to profit from that? No, she didn't get to profit from it, but it pleased her. Uh, in an in- interview <laughs> with did. NPR before she died, she said, my work has received some attention and marvelous reviews. People have loved the letters and they're saleable. Apparently. Like, so she was thrilled that like her letters now are more valuable than ever right. because of the forgery, right. like heightened the value of right. them. So that is the story of Lee Israel. What it's a, pretty amazing, what right? What a great story. Very interesting. I mean, I really didn't know anything about this. I didn't see the movie. Right. But I mean, good. I knew when I saw what the topic of the movie it was, it was like an interesting thing to me because she just seems like a real character. But there, I do want to kind of read the bio too. I just yeah. didn't get a chance to right. uh, before the show. But it does seem like it's probably better than the movie maybe. Right. Because <laughs> it's going to have more juicy right. details. But maybe the movie's cute. I don't know. 
That's it. That's it. So if you want to follow us on Facebook. Hollywood Crime Scene Friends. There's social media accounts where we try to post frequently. We'll, probably, we'll try to do better. Yeah. <laughs> Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. So All right. Follow well, us there. That's it. Happy okay. New Year. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.